Welcome to the Neanderthal Mind, bringing you riveting, educational, humorous, and sometimes serious perspectives on how our Neanderthal ancestors will to survive still has a profound effect on our modern mind, body, and soul. Take a journey with us as we roll back the clock thousands of years to discuss all aspects of our Neanderthal ancestors. All right, my fellow cave dwellers, if you're ready, let's get this wheel rolling. Now here's your host and the leader of the pack, Anthony Yokolano. All right, cave dwellers, and welcome back. And thank you for joining me on this episode. Today, we speak with Madeleine Weiss. Madeleine is a Harvard-trained, licensed psychotherapist, mindset expert, and board-certified executive career life coach who helps people master their minds so they can maintain and enjoy satisfaction and success in all areas of their lives. She's a co-author in the Handbook of Stressful Transitions Across the Lifespan and author of the new release, Getting to Great, G-R-E-A-T, Five-Step Strategy for Work and Life. I had an awesome time sitting down with Madeleine. We got into quite a few things related to the reptilian brain. We discuss how a loss of a loved one due to work stress set Madeleine on the path she now travels. We talk about living life in alignment, Madeleine's new book, uh, Getting to Great, and everyone's quarter life, midlife, and later life crisis that we go through and how to handle them. Now, of course, that's not all, but I'm going to stop talking now and get into the interview with Madeleine Weiss. So, sit back, relax, and I'll see you on the flip side, cave dwellers. Hello, Madeline. Hey, let me, get my, let me get my video started. There we go. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Good. How are you? Good. I guess I couldn't be better. I'm doing good. <laughs> Thank you very much, Madeline. I appreciate you stopping by the Neanderthal mine just to tell my community about you. Hi, everybody, and I'm really happy to be here. And Anthony, thank you for having me. I think what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is start off with the why I do what I do, and then just tell you all what I do, and we'll take it from there. How about that? So this is sort of like jumping in the deep end, in a way. When, um, when I was 15 years old, my father died suddenly of a stroke. And since I was kind of a feisty little girl, I still am kind of a feisty little girl. I was grounded at the time for um, speaking truth to power, let's say. And so I went for years because people didn't talk to their children then the way they do now. And I went for years thinking that he died of me until one day at the cemetery, then I broke down with my mother about how all my fault I thought it was. And she said to me, 
I like to say in her shining moment as a mom, she said, no, honey, it wasn't you. It was work. So no surprise, today I help primarily working people learn how to master their minds so they can have more hours in the day, more energy and peace of mind, more freedom and fulfillment in all areas of their lives because everything's connected to everything else uh, without burning out. So, yeah. Yeah, that's always been, uh, I guess, a, a trying issue for everyone for, you know, I mean, I mean, ever since I started working when I was 14 years old, I mean, you know, it's, that's always been a trying issue for everyone, you know, just trying to find, uh, you know, enough time in a day to, to really live a life, you know? Well, when people are living their life, I like to say in alignment, there's plenty of energy and plenty of time. Even though we all have 24 hours in a day, some of us have more or less energy and time than others and there's reason for that okay so then so that's you know a little bit about yourself and then you know we touched or if you want to touch any more on the uh uh you know how much stress is really soaring nowadays especially now because of everything that's going on uh, well, even even before the pandemic 77 percent of all professionals reported that they'd suffered burnout and since the pandemic, there, there, I have a couple of statistics to share with you. There was a 34% rise in divorce filings in the summer of 2020 compared to 2019. And I'm making a big deal about the word filings because it wasn't that easy to get into court to actually complete the process. But, and parents, um, with their children at home and homeschooling and everything, you know, close quarters and all of that. So parents are saying 70% of them are reporting the family responsibilities are a significant source of stress for them. Organizations spend $500 billion a year on workplace stress and 120,000 work stress-related deaths approximately happen every year. So though it obviously hit me personally at a very early age, it's kind, it's kind of a big deal. And so I feel like if I can help one little girl or boy's mommy or daddy or anybody at all, for that matter, have a happier, healthier, prosperous, productive life. I'm doing what I'm here to do. So oh, very important work. That's for sure. Definitely very important. It's a privilege and it's a pleasure too, because I get to see people find their smiles, which, <laughs> which is really wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now, so to help combat some of that work-life stress and trying to find yourself in alignment, you have a book, correct? I do. So I have an extremely varied educational background. I am an avid reader of evolutionary psychology. 
which I knew would make you smile. I'm a junkie. And you know, that's really come together with brain science. So I read brain science all day long. Um, I'm a classically trained psychotherapist. And then I got an MBA on top of that. And then I decided that coaching had something to offer, which is the solution focused, future focused, action oriented approach that was a little different from classic psychotherapy. And I kind of liked the way in which it was different. So I became a board certified executive career and life coach. So I have this toolkit. Oh, I forgot to mention. For over 20 years, I've been studying the Veda Vedanta pre-Hindu tradition as well. So because of all these different tools in the toolkit, and um, you're going to hear how important the evolutionary psych is in all of this, I said to myself, like, what are you actually doing? Like, which of these are you, like... What's coming together here? What's coming out of the toolkit that's actually making this difference for all these people? And by the way, they were all different from each other. So they were all different ages, ethnicity, occupation, gender, you name it. So I just got over the last year, I just, I just got really curious, like what's happening here? Um, that's producing such a nice effect. And I found that as different as they all were, are from each other, it, and th those things don't matter because we're all human, there was this five-step process. So I called it the five-step strategy for work and life that everybody went through. And the part that you're gonna like about that, so I decided I wanted to put that in a bottle so people could have it. So that's my book. But the part that I think you're gonna like is the first line of the book is this. A great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments in which we work and live. That was 100% true from the get-go for us as a species, that the world belonged to those who fit best with the environment they were in or yeah. who find another environment that they could adapt to better. And those are the ones who survived to make babies, yes? And that's how we got here, by being in alignment with the environment. So you will notice if you take a look that the people who are doing things and have environments around them that fit with who they really are, are the ones who are happy. I, I agree. It's kind of a get to, you know, you, you because I do read a lot about being i guess one with nature in a sense you know like like you're saying you know be, you have to be in your surroundings you, i mean that's that's what that's this is what brought us us, us up was mother nature you know made right. us who, yeah and not only that you have to be one with your own nature we're so alienated 
internally. So there's the internal environment and there's the external environment. And so do you want me to unpack the acronym? So the Absolutely. Book is, if you would love to, I would, I would love to hear it, but that's up to you. So the book is getting to grade G dot R dot E dot A dot T dot because the G-R-E-A-T is the five-step strategy. So the G, and you're gonna hear the adaptation component throughout. The G is for grounding in the belief that it doesn't have to be like that. You know, most people come to me and they just want some of the pain to stop. They don't really get or believe that you can have a great life. If you get in alignment, no matter who you are, you can have a great life. And so I hold that knowing, I hold that space for people till they can step into it themselves and really be grounded that they are going to make the most of their time here on this planet by hook or by crook. And they have everything they need to do that. The R, if a great life depends on a great fit between who we are and the environments, then we have to know who we are. So the R is for recognizing who we are, not who someone else thinks we should be, or even who we always thought we should be, but that, that truer nature that we were talking about. And then with that in our pockets, we go exploring. So that's the E for exploring. And all kinds of things are possible out there for us. And some of them we never thought of before, but some of them we did think of before and we thought, yeah, I would really like to do that, but no, nah, it isn't gonna happen. And then we give ourselves a whole list of reasons why it's not gonna happen. So we put all that aside and explore away. And that's tons of fun, but we can't stay there because that's not sustainable unless it's, as they say these days, manifests. So the A is for action. So William James said, action doesn't guarantee happiness, but there's no happiness without action. So people start to take action on some of these ideas and the action steps they take are very carefully designed by them with my assist so that they are not such big leaps that they're overwhelmed because then the human organism will shut down because we're wired to do that, to resist too much change, but big enough that the brain, which is wired to love novelty, so it excites, the step is big enough where the brain says, hmm, there's something new going on here and it activates the motivational center and it keeps us on track and it keeps us going. So I call that the Goldilocks principle. So it's not too hot, not too cold, but just right. And then the T, I would ask you if you wanted to guess at this, but pe people don't guess this. So come on, come on. do you wanna? I would not have the, how no. about try? Tackle. Huh. T is for tackling the normal, natural, predictable, expectable, inherent resistance to change that humans have. So at the beginning of the process, we're already predicting 
what that's going to look like so that when it happens, we can say, there it is, there it is, and be able to not necessarily make the fear, and sometimes it's fear of failure, but some, a lot of times it's fear of success too. Like anytime we're going somewhere new, whether it's good, better, and different, if we never went there before, we don't, we don't know how that's gonna be. And humans, again, wired to play it safe, to keep ourselves safe. So we resist change, but we can't, we can't let that stop us when we're on the road. So that's the G-R-E-A-T. That is awesome. And I was trying to, without looking it up, I was trying to figure out what it was and I would have never have, <laughs> never have guessed. But well, you could only imagine how happy I was when I saw that this process fit into that acronym. I just thought, great, <laughs> perfect, perfect. You know, um, we've all been through a mighty hard time. Oh, sure. But I think people are, correct me if you think I'm wrong, I think people are, not everyone, but a lot are beginning to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And especially because of what we've all just been through. Why shouldn't it be great? Yeah. Well, just like human nature, you kind of adapt and overcome the best you can, you know? And uh, yeah, at, at this point, we're adapting to it, but hopefully, uh, you know, now, well, now we're going to kind of hopefully have to readapt to what the original normal was before last year, you know? So I think you're making a really good point there. I want to put a line under that because. I don't think it's going to be as simple as we just throw open the doors and every, you know, I think you're saying we're going to have to re-adapt. And I think, I think the re-entry is going to be taxing. There's something called the Holmes and Rahe stress scale. It's from the 1950s, but it's a pretty good little thing because what it does is it lists like the top 100 stressors. And what's so interesting about it, it's how many of them are positive. Up, you know, like one and two, I think are um, understandably death of a spouse or getting a divorce, but job promotion is not too far down. Having a baby, getting married, things that we think of as positive events, they're stressful and why that is, is because even good things call for us, the human organism or the human system to adapt. So we have to do something different. It's not automatic and it requires of us the adaptation and it's stressful. So I like your point and I'm, interest, I'm interested to see. I, I know myself, I've been, um, seeing people by video since 2013. So it wasn't a real big adjustment for me to hunker down. But now that I've had my two vaccines, <laughs> I've had my two shots. And I'm wondering like how, how comfortable it will be to re-enter fully as that begins to unfold. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, and I think it'll take a long time, really, before everyone 
I guess, feels safe in shaking hands or hugging or, you know, being, you know, across the table from each other who's not a family member or whatever, you know, and talking, you know, it's, I think that's going to take a long time to, again, readapt to that. So. You're right. First of all, I'm not sure shaking hands is even going to come back. I'd be very surprised if that comes back. And I hugged my children and grandchildren for the first time yesterday. That's the first yeah. time over a year yesterday. How crazy is that? <laughs> Who, I mean, I, I would have never thought in my lifetime I would see anything like this, you know? Well, so then that's the, uh, that's the five-step strategy, right, for great. Yep. Now, is there any, um, any kind of case examples or anything we can dissect in regards to the steps? Yeah, so I have um, a compact one that I would like to share with you because it is so compact. A lawyer came to me um, as down and out as she could be. And she was in a very tedious branch of the law. So it sounded just really um, maybe boring. And she didn't like it. And she was miserable every single day. And was a primary breadwinner, actually. So you don't just give up the job that you can't stand when it's feeding your family. And she kind of resented that she was dependent on it that way. So we did a little stuff together and came up with that what was the most important thing in the world to her. Now, for some people, they're really way into their work. But for her, the most important thing in the world to her was her family. And I said to her, it was kind of a pivotal moment. I just said to her, that job you think you hate does a really good job of nourishing you and your family, doesn't it? And there was something about reframing it. Instead of hating it because you're dependent on it to feed your family, how about being really grateful? Like I get to go to this job that is beautifully feeding my family. That's not the end of the story though. When she felt better and she did when she made that shift, all of a sudden she wasn't stuck anymore. She wasn't a slave to it anymore. She was grateful to it. She didn't hate it anymore. So she wasn't like drained of her energy anymore. And the next thing I knew, and I didn't even see this coming, I was so delighted and surprised. Next thing I knew, she used all this newfound energy and time because she could work better. So she had more time and she had all this energy. She put together a side hustle for the family. She had a teenage son and the husband and they all went into this side hustle together. By the time she even told me about it, she had already gotten her business licensing in place and she was happy as a clam because she had this wonderful thing to be excited about 
with her family instead of working at this job she hated, taking her away from her family. So not really that much changed and everything changed. Everything changed. And I said to her, you know, G-R-E-A-T, I said, what are you going to do when the sabotaging starts? What are you going to do when the resistance starts? And she said to me, such music to my ears. She said, I have a toolkit now that I never had before. That will never happen to me again. I know what to do. That's awesome. Yes. Very Isn't good. That- I mean, it would, it would probably, it's, I'm sure it's just awesome to see. Oh, yeah your you know what you put in effect actually affects someone you know and and you got to to watch it and witness it in a sense you know thank you i live for that they're actually so getting to grade the book has 10 chapters and every chapter starts out with kind of an entertaining anecdote from my own quirky life and then goes into theory and research but every chapter has a case. So there's a chapter on time, for example. So there will be like a little case example, like the one I just gave you on someone who was struggling with time, or there's a chapter on money and that will have um, a case example of somebody who was struggling with money. And then after the case example, there's an exercise for the reader's personal use so there are 10 case examples and 10 exercises that's awesome because it allows you to you know it allows you to kind of relate the material to a real life situation you know and that's that's how a lot of people learn is by relating it to a real life situation you know so that's pretty that's pretty awesome yeah this is how this works yeah Yeah. now going through my research uh, before we sat down uh, I picked up a, a few things on a, on a, one of your blogs, and, and the one thing that caught my attention was uh, I like it. Midlife, later life, quarter life crisis. What age group are those levels? Like, what? Give a, just a rundown of what midlife, later life, and quarter life crisis refers to. Everybody, it's on the blog at madelineweiss.com. Um, I think the quarter life is like early 20s. And the midlife, I've honestly seen it many different ways. So what used to be midlife isn't midlife anymore. So what do those signify or, or you know, what, what, what do those refer to? Yeah. So I think what happens is that at these um, marker events, you know, when we cross or approach those thresholds in life. And this, I think, is a good thing, is that we begin to take stock. They always said that about the midlife crisis, but it's true that people take stock also in later life and also in much earlier life and say, how do I want to do this time here on this planet? And sometimes, they're doing exactly what they want to do. And it's good to give it a moment's thought and to know that. But very often people are out of alignment, as we said, where the internal environment is not even aligned with itself. 
And then when that's the case, it's definitely not gonna be aligned with the external environment because that's not even possible unless you're aligned internally. And I think these crises really are just moments where we say, okay, time out. How do I wanna do this? Now, people think that when they're having the crisis because it feels bad, that something's wrong. I don't think something's wrong. I think something's right. That people are taking a time out in their heads and their hearts and to look and see, should I continue this way or is it time to pivot? And then if it's time to pivot, where does the pivot begin? And many times it's in the mindset and then everything else kind of works itself out. Now is that, so that is kind of all, all three of them uh, put together, midlife, later life, quarter life, is that? Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now we're at about the, uh, just about the halfway point, half hour mark. So uh, it's up to you, you know, if I know you said you have uh, another meeting coming up. So if you needed to, needed to go, I would definitely would love to have you on again because there are so many more things I wanted to get in, to get oh. into with you. Uh, you you kind of have on my wheelhouse, like we, you get into your meditation and like you said, you know, you, you have yeah. evolutionary psychology and, and, you yeah. know, those are all the things that, that run through my head that I, I kind of have an interest in. So um, I'm thinking that it would be very nice if I came back and talked to you about the sibling rivalry in the workplace. Absolutely, there's, yes. There's an evolutionary psychologist, Steven Pinker is a okay. linguist, and he wrote How the Mind Works. And he has a section in there that completely explained to me why everybody thinks everybody at work has it better than they do. And he explained it from this biological perspective. So someday, so people out there, you can go look at his book. It's under a section called Sibling Rivalry, or maybe I can come back and we can unpack it here together because <laughs> it's, it's so much fun to, to well, well, you know, because you're doing the program. It's so much fun to think about why we are the way we are. Yes. How it matters now in everyday life. My book, by the way, I don't know whether you've seen it yet, but it has a whole chapter on mismatch theory, which as you know, is that we were wired for a vastly different time and place. Yes, yes. And <laughs> that person who's mad at you is not gonna eat you. It feels like that person who's mad at you is going to eat you, but he or she is not going to do that. But the brain doesn't know that. Right. Yeah. And then that's, that is what I've always wanted the basis of the Neanderthal mind podcast to be about is, is those sort of things. But yeah, I mean, we definitely, I, I need to get you back on without a doubt, because there are so many more things that, you know, I would love to go into with you. But before we end up, before we you close know, up, go ahead. You know what else would be good for us to talk about? And people can look more into this on their own the negativity bias which makes people so unhappy but it has been so important in our survival in that if something good was coming down the pike and we missed it on the savannah too bad 
there'll be another one. Something bad was coming down the pike in the Savannah. We were lunch, right? So those who had the better radar for looking out for danger survived, made more babies. And that's why more of us go to the negative first and sometimes stay there longer and really at the expense of the mind thinking about things that would really make us feel good, not bad, because it helped us survive. So, yeah, yes. that's true. Yes, that's absolutely. <laughs> I, will, I will put that on a note down here and, uh, yeah. you know. You know all about that, I'm sure. <laughs> well, with me, I'm kind of just beginning in this whole, you know, the Neanderthal mindset and uh, evolutionary psychology. So, like, I don't have an education or anything in it. I just have a strong interest in it, so. <laughs> I'll tell you, the first book I read years ago, and this is when I just became such a fan, Actually, there are two books. Robert Wright, The Moral Animal. If you haven't read that, I recommend that. And then Robert Sapolsky, who wrote Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And then, of course, Pinker's book on how the mind works. Those were my three favorites where I just fell in love with evolutionary psychology. The thing about writers who write about evolutionary psychology is they're funny. They're interesting, they're entertaining, and they're funny, which makes it a really, just a really fun thing to study. So, okay. Well, so before we close up, was there anything you wanted to throw out there before we, uh, before we, you know, for the audience or like anything you want to make sure you let them know or, or you know, uh, bring to their yeah. attention? So one of the things that all of my clients and I find most helpful for all of this is to get out of the lower reptilian brain and have your higher executive functioning brain in charge takes under 30 seconds. And there is an exercise on my website that is if you go to the pull down where it says complimentary mind exercises, if you go there, go to the pull down and get power breathing. It's on one sheet. I swear it takes me under 30 seconds to do this because it stimulates polyvagal nerve and that's all very complicated and I'm not gonna go into that now, but the point is it just clears you and calms you and puts you in your higher brain state. So any decisions that you are making about what to do next or forever are coming from the smartest part of you. So I invite everyone to go to my website at madelaineweiss.com. And the book is on Amazon okay. and other places too, but <laughs> Amazon is easy. So. so, and we can get to all of that from Madeline weiss.com right yeah actually the book can be ordered by clicking the button at the top of the website and then when i get finished carrying on about the book under there is the box where all the free stuff is 
And I will have all of those links in my show notes for everyone to get to. Uh, I'm sure because if you're listening to my podcast, then you're as excited about these things as I am, obviously, because you're listening to the podcast. So I guarantee you. <laughs> you tell, right? Yes. <laughs> well, Madeline, thank you again. I don't want to hold you up. I know you got to get ready for your meeting and, uh, Thank you. I definitely would love to have you come back on as soon as you can, because there was so much more that we could get into. So, but okay. I appreciate the time that you set aside for me and, you know, to be on the Neanderthal mind. It was a pleasure to talk to a kindred spirit who cares about those. <laughs> me. Well, thank, thank you. you. Have a good evening. And I hope to see you again very soon. Me too. Me too. Thank you so much. All right. Good night, Madeline. Okay. Well, there you have it, cave dwellers. I know you enjoyed that conversation with Madeleine Weiss, and I know you are all going to go and check out her social media links and website to get that awesome new book Madeleine has out, and also all the other great information she has there for you to check out. Next week, cave dwellers, we welcome back another two-time podcast guest, and she was also the second guest I ever had on the Neanderthal Mind. I'm talking about none other than E.A. Meggs, author of the never-ending series, The Dreamer Book Series, An Ice Age Saga. Now on its sixth book in the series, with no end in sight. We also discussed some new work Meg is getting into. I'm excited to have her back on, and I am sure... You are all just as excited to hear from her again. So, until next time, cave dwellers. Thanks for listening to the Neanderthal Mind podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you love what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the Neanderthal Mind podcast wherever you download your podcasts. And if you know anyone that you think would enjoy this podcast as much as we hope you have, please recommend the Neanderthal Mind to them. Until next episode, my fellow cave dwellers, don't forget, leave your cave drawings and comments on our wall at theneanderthalmind.com. <laughs>